you all are a little bit like me. Uh, maybe you're somebody who's grown up in the church or is heavily involved in your church, and you've become kind of acquainted with the steady Christian phrases that we throw out to each other once in a while. Or, to put it another way, you're fluent in Christianese, to put it. And one of these phrases that we commonly use is used in response to when somebody is talking about some insecurities that they might have. For example, if somebody were to be talking about how they really didn't like the way that they looked, somebody might respond with the phrase, God makes no mistakes, mistakes, right? And that is 100% true. I am not here at all to say that's not true. God doesn't make any mistakes. But then those certain days come along. And these are the days where at the end of it, you don't exactly feel at the top of the world. And you begin to think to yourself, yeah, God doesn't make any mistakes, but I really wish that I was created differently. You know, I really wish I was created like someone else. I mean, you, you know that God has made mistakes and you didn't even tell people that, but you feel as if you wish you were this other person. To put a, an example as to how this might happen, let's say that uh, you wish that God had created you as somebody more naturally intelligent. Uh, maybe you're having some conversations with uh, some friends that day and the conversation begins to take a bit of a, a higher turn, so to speak, and people begin getting introspective and philosophical and they start using words like ontological or plethora or defenestrate. And unfortunately I can't get into what all those words mean, but you see my point. And you sit there and you nod along, but the reality is behind the scenes just going, I have no idea what is going on right now. <laughs> and you wish that you were more naturally in tune with that and that you were a better learner. Or, you know, here's a more real example for those of you who uh, either are in school or have recently been in school. So you have your big midterm coming up, your big final, big project. You set aside a lot of time specifically dedicated to preparing for that test. I mean, you got your study study guide all set, got your flashcards all ready. You drink more coffee than can ever possibly be medically recommended in a very short amount of time in order to keep you awake for that next test. And then you go in and you take it and you get uh, an 82% on it. Now, I know to some of you, that is the end of your entire world. That's the end of your entire career right there, isn't it? But, you know, that's not a bad grade. You think you did good on it. But sitting right next to you, is gosh dang Eugene. You want to know what Eugene was doing while you were up all night cramming for that test? Eugene had binge-watched the entire series of Stranger Things on Netflix and watched two documentaries of how paper towels were made. (laughs) But that's not the worst part. You know what the worst part is? Eugene got 100% on that test. And you talk to Eugene afterwards, like, how did you do 
so good on this test without even preparing for it. And what's his response? Oh, well, you know, I'm just, um, I'm a natural test taker, I guess. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just good at school, I guess. You know, I'm just natural on it. <laughs> and you swore you'd never kill. And you never quite understood what could bring somebody to kill another person. But in that moment, you're kind of like, all right, I get it. You know, I guess, you know. But what you're probably most feeling in that moment is, gosh, I wish that I'd been created smarter. I wish I had been created to be a better student. Or maybe at the end of the day, you're praying, God, why couldn't you have created me with more fortunate circumstances? Why couldn't you have created me wealthier? Because you love your family and you want to provide for them. And you're working so hard to do so, but times are tough and it seems like you're just barely scraping by, barely getting those bills paid on time. And your family's living on just such an airtight budget that can't be broken. And then you read about these celebrities and uh, what are they called? Uh, Trust fund kids, trust fund kids. And you read about these people that just seem to inherit a lot of money and they get to live this life of luxury, this life that you would, in honesty, love to provide for your family. But it seems no matter how hard you work, it just, the time's not right, and you just can't seem to get it there. And so at the end of the day, you're just praying, God, why couldn't you have created me differently? Or maybe you wish that you were created stronger, and not just physically, unless your goal is to be the uh, next Mr. or Mrs. Universe, then yes, physically. But maybe you just wish you were a, a stronger person, to put it, a more successful person, right? Somebody who seems to get things done, get things done well, and almost seemingly never slips up and always reaps the benefits from it. Or somebody who has that dynamic personality that just walks in a room and he wins the entire room over without even having to say his name. And you, you, you want relationships, but you're struggling so hard to find them. And it seems like every time you try to have one or have a conversation, you're just always botching it up with the things that you say or the, the way that you are. And at the end of the day, you're just praying to God, God, why couldn't you have created me as someone who didn't, someone who knew how to have a social conversation? Why, why did you create me in this seemingly mess basically sum it up you wish that you had been created as somebody who wasn't you and then we start to compare our lives to that of the world and we look at people and the attributes that the world praises we look at the people who make the cover of time magazine or the people who win nobel peace prizes or the ones who get on TV and get praised for their every move, it seems. These people have names that you know what they are. Everybody knows what they are. And you wonder how many of these people are dedicated Christ followers? Probably not many, if any. And they're not absent, but they're definitely not the majority. <laughs> and you just have the age-old question of if, we are the sons of God. If we're the blessed children, why is the world just praising the other side, the other people? 
And if you do have felt that way, and I have felt that way also, you're not the only Christian in history to have had that struggle and that question. Uh, you don't have to turn here, but here's what Jeremiah 12, 1 says. It says, righteous, this is the words of Jeremiah, righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? And notice, this isn't some wishy-washy nominal Christian here. This is a prophet of God. And he, he doesn't believe the wrong things about God. He knows God is righteous, but he's having these questions. You know, why are the evil ruling and why do they sleep well at night, even though they are against God? Or here's um, another one. Uh, this is from Psalm chapter 73, verse three. This is the psalmist saying, for I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Again, not a wishy-washy Christian. So, this is a guy who wrote words that would be sung as praise in churches for millennia after this. And he doesn't just notice that the wicked are prospering, but what did he say he felt about it? He was envious. He wanted what they had. And church, I got to be honest, I've been there. I have had those same exact thoughts even on this side of my salvation, I've looked at the world and I bet, you know what? The word tells me I have all that I need, but I want what they got. I have had thoughts of thinking that maybe life would be a little bit easier and a little bit better if I wasn't a Christian. I've had those thoughts even after accepting Christ. And maybe you have too. And these are wrong thoughts that you and I have, though. And there are many uh, places in Scripture we could turn to talk about this issue. But the one that I'm going to focus on are from the words of the Apostle Paul. So our text for the day is going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I am going to be focusing on the last few verses of the chapter, verses 26 to 31. Now, I don't have a lot of time to really get into all the context of this uh, passage here, but I do want to talk about it at least uh, a little briefly. Okay, so even if we don't have a lot of knowledge about the Corinthian church from the Bible there's something that we all kind of do know about it. Um, something basic. The Corinthian church is a church, right? It's a, it's, it's a poo-poo church. It really is. To put it in a modern perspective, Paul did not give this church a good review on Yelp. It has like one out of five stars, maybe. And there are several issues as to why it is, but one of the main issues with this church is that it seems to have no unity, And the reason it has no unity is because different sections of the congregation are attaching themselves to different names and just blindly following those names, right? So you have section A over here says, I'm with Peter. Section B says, nope, I'm with Apollos. The section over here says, nope, I'm with Paul. And it's just causing so much strife among them. I mean, so already like there, we're kind of like the Corinthians, aren't we? Because let's be honest. 
whether it's in politics or theology, there's that one name out there and we don't, it's, it's like our discernment goes all the way out the window and we just see that one name and we don't know what they say all the time. But as long as this person says it, two gold stars right there, right? <laughs> we just blindly follow it. Um, but it's causing so much strife and what the Corinthians are looking for in these people is they're looking for the person who has the most wisdom of the world. Specifically, they're looking for the person that has the most eloquent speech. It just has that way of talking that just floors people. It has the fancy arguments and the good, good presentation. <clears throat> now, Paul knows about them. And in fact, he tells the, he, he's trying to get the Corinthians to understand guys, the world is on the losing side. Why are you looking after their wisdom and the things that they prize? And he tells them that when he came to Corinth, right, he was intentional and didn't even engage in the wisdom of the world. He didn't engage in fancy arguments. What did he give them? Christ and him crucified. He gave them the gospel and that was it. He didn't even want to baptize all of them because he knew how that would go. He just wanted to give them the gospel. So that's the context of this passage. God is intentionally showing the Corinthians um, that as followers of God, we should not pursue that wisdom of the world. So let's go ahead and read our passage for today. Finally got there, right? <clears throat> it says, for consider your calling brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the, un and, and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Paul gives his church some pretty specific instructions here, and it is um, always good to note when scripture tells us to do something, it's also good to know, at least for me, I had to do this, uh, good to know what he is not telling you to do or what he doesn't tell you to do. For instance, you know, Paul does not tell his church to keep seeking the wisdom of the world. Keep seeking, keep seeking that eloquent speech, right? He knows it's not good for them. I also noticed something else. Um, so obviously the Corinthians are envying that worldly wisdom. They want to be like that. And they, they feel inadequate when compared to it, probably. So they desire it and pursue it. This is not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, look, guys, you don't even have to worry about what the world says or what anybody says. Because the key to life and the key to happiness is right here. It's inside you, right? That's not, that's not what he says. That's a well-intentioned, almost kill myself. <laughs> Um, it's a well-intentioned message, and it's, and it's well-meaning, um, but I'll be honest with you, church. If you look inside of you to yourself, you know what you're going to find according to Scripture? You're going to find a heart of stone 
that naturally hates God. Hardly the solution to the issue there, is it? So what does Paul tell his church to do? He tells them to remember your calling. Remember the gospel message? Sure. But he also seems to be drawing them back to where they came from, what they were like when they came from. So the Corinthians, not many noble, not many strong, not many wise, right? Paul is, I'm going to paraphrase here. Uh, Paul is basically saying, you guys want to be like the world. I mean, in their standard, you guys are losers. (laughs) You know, I mean, not not all of you, but you know, I I met most of you and you weren't exactly the, the cream of the crop, so to speak. You know, you weren't the people that always got the second glance necessarily, you know, and you know, they're, they're not smart, not strong, not even noble according to the world. And like we talked about in the beginning, odds are you have nights where you kind of resonate with the Corinthians. You know, you have conversations with friends, maybe even unbelievers. And you think, I want to be as smart as this guy. This guy doesn't even have Christ. And he seems to know so much more than I do. And um, you want to be like the person who has that natural ability to just do whatever, does whatever he wants. And he seems to get benefits from it. And in this corrupt world, it seems that the unbelievers can be as terrible as they want and not pay any consequence sometimes. And you kind of are envious of how well they sleep at night. And it seems that sometimes your flaws are so prevalent. You can never be a good witness to them. Why would they listen to you? Because according to the world, they got it and you don't. And I noticed here that Paul never denies these things about the Corinthians, right? He never says that, well, he never, he never argues with them that they aren't smart, strong, or wise, right? He tells them that according to the world, you guys are losers. And that's true. But the story doesn't end there. And praise God that it doesn't, because if it did, you all might be walking out of here a bit more depressed than when you came in here. And then this would not just be my first time speaking. It would also be my last. No, but Paul tells them that there is a divine reason. There is actually a plan as to why the seemingly backwards of society are the ones that God has chosen. And it goes back to Paul's, one of Paul's main purposes in this entire book is that God is out to shame the world. And one of the best ways, the most effective way he's going to shame the world is he's going to use the things that the world has cast out, that the world has despised, right? So you feel like you aren't smart compared to the world. You turn on your history channel and you've got the guy with the lab coat and the glasses on. He's got degrees in astrophysics. He's got degrees in evolutionary biology. To be honest, we've all been kind of scared by the guy in the lab coat, right? Like, oh, this guy knows a lot and he's definitely not a believer, right? And he talks about how faith is something that holds us as a society back. Um, Religion's just putting us back into the dark ages and he has all these fancy arguments and such. But here's the thing. You may feel like you're not smart compared to that. and You aren't, but... That's the point. God is going to use the faith, the things that this guy, this smart guy and all his arrogant knowledge looks down on is condescending towards. He's going to use a thing that he despises to shame that arrogance. So you feel like you're not strong compared to 
other other people. Maybe your neighbor is one of those guys who doesn't have Christ, but he's what you call a uh, a self-made man. You know, he picked himself up by his bootstraps, and he would the way he talks about his story is that he says he doesn't need help from anybody. All he needs is himself and his work, and he gets it done. And it seems like he does get it done. It seems like he does have successes in everything he does. And he's very upfront that he doesn't rely on anybody. And you feel like you you can never be like that. that you, no matter how hard you work, you're still going to mess things up and never be that self-made man. And you feel weak compared to him, but that's the point. God is going to use the things that he despises, that this man despises, he despises those who rely on others for work. He's going to use us who do rely on the Lord to shame the things that the world prizes, that self-reliance, that individualism. God is going to use the weakness of the world and he is going to give no place for the arrogance of man. Now, we talk about how the world sees the gospel and Christians as weak, foolish, and um, sorry, weak, foolish, and simple. Now, I want to be clear, does that mean that we are weak, foolish, and simple? It does not at all. And for two reasons. Uh, one that differentiates us from the world is that we know what true strength, wealth, and wisdom are. We know that true wisdom is not in getting the most facts down and the most data down. True wisdom is loving God. True wisdom is seeking to fulfill his commands. We know that true strength is not self-reliance. It's boasting in the Lord. And we know that true wealth is not made of treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal and moth and rust destroy. True wealth is treasures in heaven. <clears throat> and also, a big thing that differentiates us from the world is we don't go looking to ourselves for wisdom, strength, and um, wealth. At least you shouldn't. And you shouldn't go looking in the world for those things either. There's one place those things are found. That's in Christ. Right? I mean, <clears throat> you may feel inadequate, a lot of times, and I'm going to be very blunt, you are, and big time, so am I, right? We are inadequate. There's one thing that we know how to do really well, and that's to disobey God. We've got that down to a science. Like, we, we got that down. We can't even bring ourselves into a right relationship with God by our own power. Right? Ephesians even talks about faith as a gift, meaning that we can't even bring ourselves to have that faith in God without him intervening. I like what Jonathan Edwards uh, said about salvation. The only thing that you contributed to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That puts into perspective right there, doesn't it? Right? So if we can't even bring ourselves into that right relationship with Christ by our own power, are we going to find true wisdom, wealth, and strength by our own power? Not in your life. Right? These things are found in Christ. So, you know, what's, what's the ultimate point that Paul is getting at here that I'm trying to get at? The point is you may feel like you're inadequate when compared to the successes or the seeming successes of the world. You know what? We are inadequate. I'm inadequate and you are too. But that is the plan of God, right? If you thought that you had it all, would you go looking for somebody else? No, you just look to yourself. 
And who does God want us to boast in at the end of the day? Boast in the Lord, not ourselves. So accept that you're inadequate, but don't just stop there. Go to the person who is more than adequate. Run to Christ. We find true prosperity, true wisdom, and true salvation. And I want to be clear, it's not bad to pursue things like wisdom, strength, and wealth, right? It's not bad to try to gain more knowledge about the world and the creation and history, but we do it correctly. We do it realizing that the true knowledge of everything comes from Christ alone, and that is a gift from, gift from him. It's not bad to try to pursue to be a more successful person in all of your endeavors, but we do it correctly. We do it realizing that any good gift or perfect thing is going to come from above, not from ourselves. It's not bad to try to desire to have more resources to provide for your family and give them a comfortable life. It's not bad to have wealth, but we do it correctly, realizing that any wealth that we have is going to come from Christ and Christ alone. So then how do we even engage with this world that despises us and looks down on us? Do we meet them on their level? Do we try to pursue and understand that wisdom of the world and try to understand that eloquent speech enough to be able to engage them on their plane? There is a place for that. Paul himself was all things to all people, right? And he himself at a different time, like in Acts 17, he met his audience on their level. He talked to the Greeks about different ideas they would have been interested or disinterested in. He even quoted pagan poets. He quoted their own poets to them. So there is, there is that place for that. But in our context, remember that when Paul was engaged with the wisdom of the world, did he give them that eloquent speech? No, he gave them the gospel and him crucified. You know, you can argue with the world all you want, but the world's not going to give a second ear. The heart is way more powerful than the head is. So what do you give them? We give them the gospel. There's no shame in the gospel. There's no shaming in realizing that we are inadequate. And that our only salvation and prosperity is found in Christ. So, um, I hope maybe this passage is now seen in a different light. This passage was, was incredibly pivotal for me. I mean, there's a lot of passages that teach this topic, but for me, this is the one that I finally understood that, you know, I want wisdom, strength, and wealth, but <laughs> I'm not going to get it by myself. I need to run to Christ first. Because all good things come from Christ, and it's only in him that we have that peace that we so long for. That's all the time I have for today. Thank you all very much. You've been a very good first audience. So um, how about we go ahead and and, uh, end with a word of prayer here. Father God, we're just so thankful again for this day you've given to us, God. We thank you for your word and for your truths. Father, we thank you so much that it's not up to us to determine our fate. It's not up to us to produce true strength and wisdom and wealth. Lord, all these things are found in your son. We thankful. We are thankful for your gospel. We thank you so much for, for making up for our sin, God, for atoning for that sin. Lord, I pray that we would never give in to the lie that we are 
weak or foolish or truly destitute as far as the world is concerned. In ourselves, we are, but we're not in Christ. Because Christ has fulfilled all for us. I pray these things be on our mind as we go about our lives and have conversations with our family and friends and coworkers. And I pray that this would affect our witness, that we would not seek to give the world what it wants, but that we would give it what it needs. And that is the gospel. And I pray us ourselves would own that gospel truth. It is in Christ's name that I pray these things. Amen.